Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Tired of the 9 to 5? Tired of only dreaming about the things you want to do? Want to have more time for your family? More time for you? More time for you? This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we interview qualified guests in the real estate industry all across Canada. We want you to live life on your terms, and we want to help you break through to that life through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Now your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. As usual, here with me again is Mr. Sandy McKay. How's it going, Sandy? Fantastic, Rob. How are you today? Very good. Very good. The sun's shining here for now, so I'm super pumped about that. Uh, it's been a little rainy for the last few days, so hoping to get out after this and and uh, work a little on uh, tanning up here. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're in Costa Rica. You better look. To, you better look the part. Yeah, that's, I'm falling off in that department. That's for sure. <laughs> I have to I have to I have to get up on that soon. Uh, how are things with you? Fantastic, really. Uh, summertime in Canada. Can't complain. And um, also great market for buying real estate in a lot of ways. So uh, as much as we, uh, you know, talk about, you know, people here, but the, the pain of whatever's happening in the market, I mean, there's lots of great opportunities right now. So I think uh, from an investor standpoint, it's uh, actually a pretty exciting time. Yeah. So if you're thinking of buying something in Hamilton area, maybe reach out to Sandy and get maybe. that straightened out. Maybe, yeah. maybe, and then, you know, you know, and if and there's so many, there's so much to talk about around that. It's all depends on everyone's goals and everything, but there's, there's just so much opportunity there. I want to, I want to keep saying that because everyone's all scared about where the market's going and everything. And right. for some people, you know, rightfully so here and there, but there's, there's just so much opportunity in that too. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really an exciting time. And uh, yeah. Well, everybody knows that um, they should go over to our website, breakthroughreipodcast.ca, and uh, there they can look at all the episodes that we've done over the last well, over eight years now, and uh, and and they'll be able to connect with all the guests that we've talked to. So there you can just go into the show notes, and if they found somebody particularly interesting or they want to reach out to them for whatever reason, they all their contact info is in there. So they can go over and uh, and listen to the show that way. 
and get our free gift. Free gift, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. So um, still, you can go pick that up at uh, BreakthroughRAPodcast.ca. And as you do that, you'll get on our list too. So you never miss out on a show and never miss out on uh, any other great things we got going on, any events and that sort of thing. Uh, including Rob, they've already missed it probably, but your Costa Rica tour that's uh, coming up in a few months. I think, uh, I think I heard we were sold out, right? The investor event is sold out and, uh, and we've got a wait list now and, um, you know, we'll be doing more. Uh, we'll talk about that more later, but yeah, there'll be more coming up. And, uh, we did it in conjunction with Durham REI this time. I think we're going to be reaching out to a few other people because I've just been getting so much interest in that. So um, after this one is over, then we'll start working on the next one and people can come down and see what it's all about here. But, um, yeah, it's been really interesting and, and hope to have many more. Awesome. What else we got to talk about? Well, to I mean, we got, they got to go to iTunes, right? Maybe it's a rating review. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Uh, that helps the show get out there to more people and uh, people that are looking for this kind of content that'll be more readily available to them. So go over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, leave us some tips, maybe leave us a review, some something you want to hear about, a topic that we haven't touched on, maybe um, a guest that you uh, recommend, whatever it is. Go over there, write us a rating and review. Helps a lot. Absolutely. And, uh, and it helps us share more great Canadian content. <clears throat> and uh, I've certainly got a great guest here lined up for today. Uh, and I think let's get to it. Right, Rob? Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. Perfect. Let's uh, welcome in here uh, Jeff Reitzel. Uh, welcome to the show, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Awesome. Um, I'll give you a brief intro and you can, uh, you can share a bit more about, uh, about who you are and where you've came from, come from. Uh, but Jeff is, is a husband, father, mentor, philanthropist, an active real estate broker and mortgage broker and real estate investor. And he's shared the stage with many other great uh, real estate you know, um, entrepreneurs and, uh, and leaders, uh, Gary Keller, Dave Jenks. Um, he's contributed to Quantum Leap, which is a, a course for young adults. And um, there's a lot more we can talk about. Uh, you've got some cool stuff going on in, in Ghana, um, where you're doing some, doing some, uh, some charitable work there, which is exciting. And really your purpose is to, in life is to help mentor others. And today, well, through this interview, you'll get a glimpse into your passion for that and, uh, and how you can make a positive difference in people's lives. So really excited to have you here, Jeff. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Again, thanks to be here. And, um, you know, I always love the opportunity and, and thanks for everything you guys do too, in, in giving people the opportunity to hear from others that are investing and, and, and doing stuff. Um, you know, we all do things so differently. And what I talk about today and how I invest in real estate is going to resonate with, with some people. And the guest you had two weeks ago is going to resonate with somebody else. So that this platform really is a, a, a amazing and it provides a lot of value to a lot of different individuals. Um, so to, you know, you, you mentioned there that in my bio that, you know, first and foremost, I am a, a husband and a father. And then I would say a mentor and a philanthropist. And that, that really defines who I am. The rest of the stuff that you mentioned is not who I am. It actually fuels who I am and what I do. So to, I guess, you know, to go back to the beginning for me and how I got started investing in real estate, I was, I was investing in the stock market. And I, I'm going to take you back to when I was 14 years old. I, I was I was actually investing $800 a month at 14. 
I was working at Wendy's for $5 and five cents an hour. And uh, one of the first books I, I had ever read, and, and I've had the privilege of getting to know this individual over the years, was Dave Chilton, The Wealthy Barber. And in, and in his book, he talked about saving 10% of your income. I just reversed that to 90%. I was living at home. You know, I, I was a teenager. Most of my friends didn't have jobs. So if they could survive on no money, surely I could survive on, on 10% of what I was making. So I, I was investing $800 a month and, and did that for you know, about a year and a half or so. And it was great. You know, I had $11,000 at the end of my first year. Markets went up 10% or 12% or whatever it was. But I went, there's, there's got to be a, a better way to accelerate things. Remember, I'm, I'm really young. I'm 15 years old. And I learned about leverage investing where I could get. Uh, and and the, the, the graph that I did at the time was, I think if I invested $800 a month for 40 years, I'd have $9.5 million at, um, at the age of 55. And I thought, well, that's great. You could probably buy half of the country for $9.5 million. So the, the amount of money was crazy to me. But the time frame was very daunting. Uh, you know, my grandparents were in their 50s and I believed they were almost dead. Now, I have a different view on that now because I'm really close to my 50s. But was there a way to accelerate it? So I, I learned about leverage investing. And if I could borrow $130,000 from a bank and make payments of $800 a month, well, over that, that same time period, I would have several million dollars more for the same monthly contribution. And that was kind of my first light bulb when it came into when it came to leverage. And and, and again, I, I did that for many years. And I I didn't I, I thought I could get a hundred and thirty thousand dollar loan at 16. Um, the lady at Bank of Montreal Kitchener laughed at me. She thought it was some kind of school project. I was in my Wendy's uniform. Maybe I should have been dressed differently. I, I thought I was going to get this loan. I'm like, look, I'm making $800 payments. Right. I got a job here. Yeah, I got a job. It's a it's a pretty good one. And I've, I've been making a voluntary contribution of $800 a month for 12 months. So I got a track record. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it didn't happen. <clears throat> yeah, uh, eventually, I, you know, I got I got loans that size, but but not in the beginning. So I, I wanted to look. I thought, was there a vehicle out there that somebody else could make the payment that was my that, that was the light bulb for me i got to make this payment every month i don't want to i want to use my 800 dollars a month and maybe do something else or have fun and i stumbled across real estate investing so I, I would have been 16 at the time i obviously wasn't in a position and couldn't purchase real estate but it blew my mind that you could buy a piece of real estate and somebody else would pay for it like it blew my mind i thought man if everybody knew this everybody would do it. And what I've learned over the years is the reason more people don't do it is because these type of platforms didn't exist. And there was nobody out there showing people that it that it could be done. You know, the rich would teach their, their children and that would be kind of it. There was nobody out there really talking about it and just sharing free information. Because, well, you, you know, we're all investors here and and we know once somebody really gets it and, and it's explained to them, then the light bulb goes off for them as well. Now, it's not to say there's not any any risk, but all that it all that a tenant requires is a nice place to live, a fair rent and a nice person to deal with. That's really the, the magic to it. If you can meet those three things, the property, if the property goes up in value, that's all yours. If the property gets paid down, it's all yours. You know, it was a it was a real light bulb for me in in um, 
in investing was was stumbling across real estate. Um, so you mentioned that the rich, you know, pass this information down to their kids, but who passes it down to you? Where did you where did you find the interest in it? Uh, well, it, I, I actually, you know, m- many would think that it would be my father because he, you know, he's been a realtor for for many many years. And it wasn't. I actually got my dad investing in, in real estate. And I, Gary Keller interviewed me. It was 20, 2010 or so. And he asked that question about, you know, he said, why don't more realtors invest in real estate? And I said, Gary, I bet you if we did a, a study, and, and this is going back 15, you know, 15 years or so, that the percentage of realtors that own real estate is going to be the same as the percentage of doctors and mechanics and, and so on. And we actually found it to be true. That just because you were a realtor didn't mean you were more likely to invest in real estate. Now, that's probably changed a little bit over the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. For me, I had nobody pouring into me about investing of any kind. I just had such a strong interest in investing from a young age and, and money and finances. I would actually skip school and go to the library and read books and kind of educate myself. So it would have the, the real estate thing would have been in a, in a book that I would have read that that's where the, the light bulb would have went off for me. Um, I wish I would have had somebody like me to pour into me and somebody like the two of you to talk to me. Um, yeah, I, didn't. I wasn't. And, and that's good for people that are that are out there. You know, it wasn't like I grew up in a real estate investing family and I had an edge. I didn't. I just read a book. And as you mentioned, it is there is very little of this kind of education that's shared in the school like if you want it you've got to go seek it out yourself they're they're not yes. it's not something that is taught in schools <clears throat> it, it isn't and it's one of my it's why i've been involved with um you know gary keller's program the the, the quantum leap for young adults um since 2015 was to bring more of this education to the now quantum leap is more than just finances but it, it it's a pretty big section in it because it's just not taught in in schools. There's there, there's more stuff today, but it, it it really isn't taught. None of this stuff is. <clears throat> so what which investment strategies have you focused on then? Um, once you got started, the light bulb went off. Where'd you go? From yeah. That? Well, I, I would say my my investment strategies have been very simple and boring to most, but have given me extraordinary results without having crazy risk. I, I have an eight-figure net worth in real estate doing, I guess, what I'm going to talk about now, the boring stuff. Now, I, I started out with small multifamily, so duplexes and triplexes. And I actually pivoted quickly and went down to single-family homes, which isn't what most people would, would do, right? They, they'll go from triplexes to 50-plexes or whatever. So I was doing condos, semis, and, and townhouses. And I, I liked the quality of the tenant in that type of product. And I don't want people to get confused with the quality of person because I believe we're all equal as humans. There are different quality tenants out there and people who invest in real estate understand that. Um, and for me, the, the single family was, I was also very, I was busy. And yes, I did have a property manager managing stuff. But the single family, especially newer single family at the time, the only thing that was really required on a monthly basis was to deposit a rent check. That was it. And I saw really good price appreciation in single family. So that that's how I got started. And that was my strategy for, I would say, until the last four or five years, it was still single family. As time has gone on, for, for many of us in the markets that we're in, single family simply 
didn't work and doesn't work anymore. Prices have increased so much and rents have not kept pace with prices. They, they will in time probably, and rents always lag prices, but it's going to take a lot to be able to buy a townhouse in most of our markets and just rent it to a single family and have any sort of cash flow. It, it's almost impossible. So I, I, and I, so I had to look at my market differently and I encourage you to look at your markets a little differently too. You might've been used to just walking into a builder and buying a, a townhouse yourself or selling a townhouse to a client. And that's what I was doing in my market. And then I, then as prices started increasing, you look at your market differently and then maybe you buy a, a bungalow and then you can, then prices go up and bungalows don't work and you convert that bungalow to a duplex and prices go up and numbers don't work and you add a tiny home in the backyard. There's, there's, I, I say there's always opportunity in every market. It can just be harder to find. Um, since, well, I actually, I bought probably 15 single family homes during the beginning of, so, sorry, not, they weren't all homes. Most of them were condos during, the, at, at the beginning of COVID. So there are still those opportunities out there. They're, they're harder to find. I've had to pivot now into more of the, the multifamily properties and now into, into developing, uh, developing properties in, in, in other provinces. Um, so so more multifamily now. So before we go there though, you talked about like what you were doing at the beginning, you, you quote unquote called it boring. Um, I guess not easy, but in your mind, the path of least resistance, um, but there must have been some challenges in there too. So let's talk about, you know, some of the bigger challenges when you were starting out and how you overcame them. Well, I think for the, the biggest challenge for me, and I think for most people when they're starting out, is thinking they have to find the perfect property. It's got to have the, the percentage of rent to purchase price. It's got to have a certain cap rate and so on. I think that that's for most people. And, and the, the way that I overcame that is I said, next weekend, I'm going to look at all the triplexes in my city and I'm going to buy what I think is the best one. And the next weekend, I'm going to look at all the duplexes and I'm going to buy what I think is the best one. And were they the best investments? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But I was now in the market and taking action, I believe, has been the biggest key to my success. And uh, Sandy, I said this on a call with you a few weeks ago, but down the road, I believe people will say Jeff and Sandy and Rob are so successful investing in real estate because they bought properties when they were so cheap in 2021 and 2022, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just and, when we entered the market, that's all there yeah. is to it. And, and who <laughs> thinks properties are cheap right now? Well, I'm going to say probably nobody thinks they're cheap. Have, have they come down in price? Sure. But nobody thinks they're cheap. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that people are going to say that down the road. But it's been a, a very similar story with me over the last 23 years that people will say, well, well, yeah, you're successful because you bought an 08 or 2013 or 2018 or whatever. If you think properties are going to be cheaper 10, 15, 20 years from now, um, I, I think you're going to be you're going to be wrong. So it, for me, it's been pulling. The trigger. Yeah. It has now there, there's lots of other challenges too. I could talk about, you know, financing issues and, and, and that kind of stuff. But I think the biggest challenge for most is thinking they need to find the perfect property and having a property in the market is better than having, than, than waiting to find the, the perfect property. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I used to do investor tours in Durham and that would be the, the advice that I would give them. I'm like, look, you know, maybe this isn't the 100% best property that you could ever invest in, but we're taking five or six properties that we're seeing today. <clears throat> we'll pit them against each other. And one person might think that this one is better than that one, but all we're doing is comparing what we saw today. It's all we can do. Right. Yeah. No, and, no then, question. and then at some point you've got to accept the fact that maybe you've learned enough about, <clears throat> you know, how to get started that you need to take the step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that I can think back to the beginning and, and one that I talk about a lot to people is make sure the person that's speaking to you is valid to speak to you. Cause we, we often take advice from people that aren't valid to give us advice. Mm. And my first experience in that was that first triplex that I bought was, and I bought a condo before that that turned into an investment property, but that triplex was my first on purpose investment purchase. And I, I had a, a home inspector that we'd used in our business for years. And we sat down at McDonald's on Highland Road and he said, don't buy this property. You know, just, just don't, you need to run. And so then I, th- what came to mind right away is I said, well, okay, uh, how many investment properties do you own? And he said, none. And I said, do you live in, do you own the house you live in? No, I rent. And I instantly stopped listening to everything he had to say. Now, if he said the chimney needed to be repointed, well, I listened to that sort of stuff, but he was not valid to give me any advice on investing in real estate. The, mm-hmm. the, the reason we listen to those people out there or those naysayers is because they're the only ones talking. So that's yeah. why we listen to them. You know, they, yeah, the water have, cooler conversation is yeah. like, does, does the place have toilets? You go, yeah, so run. Don't yeah. yeah, I know. You know, they, they had a friend who had a cousin that knew of somebody that knew yeah. a lawyer that had a client uh-huh. that they're whatever. Like, the house fell down on top of everybody that lived yeah. in it. Just yeah. make sure they're valid to, to talk to mm-hmm. you. Just ask, you know, ask three questions deep. It's not that the person needs to own 20 mm-hmm. investment properties. If they've owned one, I would listen to that person, you know, but if they, if they're 57 years old and they've rented their whole life, they're not valid to give you advice on, on real estate investing. And then you talked about obviously the financing piece being a big challenge as well, but we're going to sort of shift over because now you've, you're still investing, but you've sort of made a shift um, into the mortgage space. Well, I, so I, I, I've been a mortgage broker and a real estate broker since 1998. So I got into both at at the same time. And the story behind the mortgage broker piece for me, I always loved numbers. So math was my thing, but my dad was in real estate and I was working in his office, just doing office stuff. And one of my roles was getting the offer and the MLS listing over to the, to the mortgage person for, for financing. And I was just so frustrated with how long that process took and how think, how long things just sit on, sat on someone's desk. So I said, I, I think I can do this. And I, I actually got licensed in both at the, at the very same time. And then, uh, and then, and then you, you did, is it right to say you kind of went down the mortgage broker path a lot more than the realtor side um, over time or how, how did yeah. you choose one or the other? What, what was the, cause you had the opportunity, I would assume like to get into the realtor side pretty, pretty, pretty heavily too, if you wanted to. Um, yeah. And, well, and, and there are, 
Yeah, and that that that's a fair statement. I I would say the 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 mortgage end of things has been much bigger for me than the real estate end of things. Um, where my now saying that, Sandy, I I've, I've been the number one Keller Williams agent in GCI in Canada. I think once or twice. So I I do I there there are times where I do a ton of real estate as well. It's kind of I've never looked at it as two separate things. It's I've I've always done I've always done both. So my role on our on our team on the real estate side would be more the the mentoring and coaching of um, of, of investor clients, and then we have buyers agents on our team. And then I still am, am a support on the on the listing side. So there are there are, are listings I will do uh, on the buyer side. We have we have buyers agents for that. Um, but financing has really been my forte. There's there's no question. Has that helped you in your, your career? Either either one of those roles? Is that how has that helped and affected your investment side? Because we you, you, we mentioned already, realtors generally don't invest in real estate. Um, you're 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 different than that. But how does yeah, how has that affected things? Has that helped you? Yeah, it it, it had the, the financing has having a, a good understanding of that because I, I I know where to go to get deals done, and I, I say that to 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 agents and clients all the time. Make sure you have somebody on the financing end of things that can look at your situation right now and put you in a position to do what you don't even know you want to do yet. Um, where most of us will just walk into our bank or walk into a broker that we've been that we've been dealing with forever. Well, odds are they might finance one investment property a month or one a year in a lot of cases. So getting the the expertise it, is very important. And a, and a well, you guys know it's a big piece in succeeding in investment fi- or in investment real estate is being able to get deals financed because um, you reach it you reach a ceiling. Right with mo- with most lenders, mm-hmm. if you're just looking at things based on GDS and TDS, well, for most of us, we're going to own one or two properties, and that's it. So it it it's helped me, and it's also helped a lot of our clients too, having somebody you know on board that that understands investment financing. Yeah okay. how do you how do you how do you um, how do you end up doing that? You mentioned buying uh, 15 condos, you know, a couple of years ago, and you know, to most people, they go, well, I, I can't even qualify for one more. How, how do you end up doing How do you end up doing that? What type of financing well, are you looking into for that? Well, the, the way you, you qualify for, you know, if you're doing one or two or, or three properties, it's going to be based on GDS and TDS. And they'll add a percentage of the rental income to your income. And, you know, you're going to qualify for anywhere between zero and three properties. To go beyond that, you need to deal with lenders that, that deal with you know, debt coverage ratio and, and rental offsets and that sort of thing. So if you're, if you look at somebody that's buying, you know, five or 10 or 15 properties or somebody that's buying a, a, a thousand unit apartment building, the way those deals are financed is based on the strength of the property. So it, in a, in a normal deal, if you're buying a condo, they look at you first and the property second, when you're buying bigger stuff or multiple properties, they look at you um, second, it's does the property work, and then oh, is the borrower okay? The, that that's how, in simple terms, the bigger stuff is financed. It, the the property has to have enough cash flow to support itself. Yeah. So, in in something like what you were talking about, that would have been like a, a portfolio loan over those. Like that was a you know a, a like a a group of properties sold together. 
It actually wasn't. The, so these ones were all purchased individually on, on different <laughs> closing dates, but it was still underwritten the same way. So it's not a blanket mortgage on, on those 15 condos. They're actually all individual mortgages. Um, most of the time, it's not going to be done that way. It is going to be a, a blanket or a portfolio lend. But there are there are cases where you can do them um, individually. And then I would just add a new one to the portfolio as as they came up. And actually to talk about those condos, because when we say uh, uh, opportunity in markets, mo this this particular building that I purchased these properties in in Kitchener, most people looked at this building and it, it's a it's an older building downtown. Condo fees are extremely high. And I was buying these properties for 175 to 205. I think that's the highest price I paid. And people looked at these at the beginning in March 2020 and went, they were selling for 125,000 two years ago. Like 200,000 is crazy. I don't ever care what something used to sell for. If it used to be less, that's actually evidence to me that it could be more. Um, I, I don't get caught up in what I, I used to be able to buy it for. So these didn't have any cash flow, none of them. So you have to, you had to be able to, to service that negative cash flow on these properties. Where I saw the upside on these was actually was, was price appreciation. They were the bottom of our market. Well, fast forward to January, February, March, they're now selling 325 to 380 a unit. And do the math on that times 15. Yeah. So yeah, I had a negative cash flow, but I probably had, you know, a million and a half to two million in upside in terms of price appreciation. Um, e even now with things softening, they're still selling in the threes. You know, I do think that that mentality is interesting too, because a lot of people have that the, um, well, what did it sell for last year? Or how much did they buy it for? Right. And I do get that question quite a bit and oh, yeah. it is difficult to try to, try to help people understand that that doesn't matter. Like you're looking at, you're looking at what it is here and now, not what it used to be. Right. Maybe they've yeah. got improvements on it. You don't know, you know, but the, I, the markets increased all of that stuff. And I have just a little bit of a personal story here, but I recently uh, purchased something. And then a friend of mine who happened to know the seller contacted me and said, you know, um, I'd hate to tell you what the person bought that for. You know, I hope they're giving you a good deal. And I went, if, like, do you think I actually care what they bought it for? I hope they're doing well. That's the yeah. whole reason they bought that property and sat on it. And now it's appreciated and they're, and they're making money off it on the, on the sell side. That's what we all do. Why would someone think that, you know, that would bother me or I should try and, you know, oh, really? Like, maybe I'll back out. Maybe I'll try and haggle a couple more dollars out of this. Like, I think no, I, if when the deal looks good on paper, it looks good on paper. When you agree to a price and everybody's happy, I think that that that, that says a lot too. Oh, in all those condos I bought, people double or tripled their money. Mm -hmm. all, all, all of those sellers made double or triple what they paid for them, and I think that's awesome. So I yeah. I bought I bought condos in a particular building at forty nine thousand, at one forty one, at two seventy five, and at four fourteen, all for the all same in the same yeah all in the same building, and I. I, I don't care. I act well. I do care what it used to be worth because it provides me evidence that it could be worth more in the future. Right. I I don't go. Oh, I missed the. I missed. I missed out on it. No, I didn't miss out on it. <laughs> it's yeah. It's, it's, that's proof that it's there's a good chance that it you know it's a it's in a location that's really attractive and it's gonna you know whatever reason it's 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 valuable. It's probably gonna 
keep being valuable. I mean, there's a lot of other factors. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's a that's a really good mindset on those. It's 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 mm-hmm. definitely goes against the norm of what of how, people, yeah. how people look yeah. back on things. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So you have leaned sort of more heavily over to the lending side of things. Yeah. So why did you do that? Um, I think from a personal, from a, a personal standpoint, it, you could, I could get a lot more, I could get a lot more done. So I, I could arrange 20 mortgage. I, I don't, but I could arrange 20 mortgages in a day. It, it's impossible in most situations to take 20 buyers out in a day and sell 20 buyers homes. And I, I felt I was a greater value to the clients in being able to figure out the financing end of things than I was the, the, the real estate. And, and I still do real estate as well, but I, 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 I could just get so much more done on the financing side than I could on the real estate and more control over my time. You never have to put a mortgage client in your car and show them houses. So when you're working with investor clients, for the most part, these aren't people, well, they've probably got good jobs, but they're, but they're not buying the, the higher end, properties for the most part we're buying entry level uh of properties and the financing is a little more tricky so you sort of put yourself in a position where you know you're not going to make as much money on the transactions and you're not going to uh it's not going to be as easy it's not yeah. the low hanging fruit but you chose to do that just in order to be able to help the clients on yeah i've you know. i've really enjoyed in my career helping the average person become wealthy that that's that's really meant a lot to me. Um, it doesn't mean I haven't or won't do. Like I've sold fifty million dollar apartment buildings to billionaires. Like that. Like it. it but that sounds fun. Yeah. Oh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a funny a funny story. So I I'm doing a I think it was like a thirty million dollar mortgage for this client, and mm-hmm. this is fifteen years ago, and I'm like nervous, sweating. <laughs> They're coming to the office to sign the well for me, hopefully to sign the documents. And he walks in my office, he sits down, he says, I got two minutes, show me where to sign. <laughs> that was my, that was my biggest mortgage ever. And it took two minutes. It was, uh, it was crazy. Investor clients, and you guys have probably experienced this, are very, are very loyal too. And as a, as a realtor or as a mortgage person, you know, you can do multiple pieces of business every yeah. year with, with the same individual. Um, mm-hmm. They're very, they're very loyal when you do right by them. When you help people make money, they're, they're yeah. in general in life. When you help people make money, they're they're appreciative and loyal. Definitely. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, you, we mentioned you mentioned Kitchener a bunch of times. Is Kitchener Waterloo is that your your only focus? Is that where you've bought all of your properties? Is it just the majority of them, or have you have you ventured out in any other markets? Yeah, I would say it is the it, it it soon actually won't be the majority, but right now it is the majority are in are in Kitchener Waterloo, and I've I've always had a buy and hold mindset. Um, I've flipped properties too, but it, it's always a buy and hold. I never try to time the real estate market. I just, I buy and hold. That's where wealth is created in buying and holding. I have started doing some stuff in, in other provinces in, in Nova Scotia and Alberta. And, you know, people say, well, why did you pick those two provinces? Well, it isn't because I think they're the two best places to invest in Canada outside of my market. I just have individuals that I've known and mentored over the years that happen to be in those, in those provinces. Mm -hmm. And that means a lot to me to have somebody I know and and trust there rather than just randomly picking somebody and, and investing. 
So in, in, Nova, in Nova Scotia, um, we've purchased land that we're now building eight plexes on. And in, uh, in Alberta, it's, uh, there's a couple of apartment buildings that, that I have under contract, condo apartment buildings, and then a bunch of duplex semis and duplex townhouses. Um, and it's just, it's just math. The, the, numbers, the numbers make sense. You can buy a, a duplex townhouse in the 300s and a mm -hmm. 15 or 1800 square foot brand new duplex semi in the 400s. Uh, where you just you you can't do that in in my area anymore. Well, which markets in Alberta did you did you mention? Was is Edmonton. Calgary, Edmonton, Edmonton? Edmonton. Yeah, and I was going to say which markets in Nova Scotia. Um, yeah, there's a there's a, a they're, they're they're smaller they're smaller communities. So the 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 major centers there the the math still makes sense in the in the major centers. I like the the small communities like like Kempville and, and Wolfville that you know about an, an hour hour and a half from the major centers. The rents are about the same. Land is really cheap. There's not a lot of rentals in those areas, and there's a, a huge demand. Um, there's lots of opportunity, lots of opportunity out there. Cool. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, it, I see. Uh, I see people going out east a lot more uh, of late from from Ontario mm -hmm. primarily, and, and and venturing out that way. I think COVID has has definitely played a bit of a factor in that, and, and people just migrating that way. Uh, yeah, it, in general. Now, I I still always say to people, look in your own backyard first. So look for opportunities where you are. Um, I think especially when you're first starting out, that's always been my advice: is look for something where you are first keeps it simple for sure, which yeah, is, yeah. which is often the easiest way to take action is if it's as simple as possible. Um, yeah. when you start overcomplicating it, 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 generally, if you go to different places and you're, you know, there's a lot more variables, you don't, you're not as comfortable. It's usually a little bit of a deterrent towards taking action Yeah. yeah. versus in your backyard. It's easier to get in the market. Like we've said already on this, uh, on this episode about how important that is. And so, yeah, that's one of the reasons I like you were talking about single families and like this, the simplicity of those are just, it, it's so much easier to just jump in and do it. Cause it's, there's just a lot less to work through. And yeah, once you do one of those, you know, you can decide if you can go on to something bigger, bigger, more complex and everything and, you know, decide from there. But yep. I think early on keeping it simple is, is, is really beneficial for the most part. Um, Keller mortgage candle. Let's talk a bit about that. Cause uh, you've, you've, transitioned in a way your your mortgage business and uh and and love know a bit more and tell our listeners more about what that what that means and what that look you know what the benefits or what the difference is in yeah, that sure. compared to your traditional mortgage uh brokerage yeah and it you know it definitely isn't something that that i needed to be a part of but it really aligned with with who i am and there were really i guess three main reasons that i decided to be involved in bringing keller mortgage canada to or keller mortgage to canada and the first would be to, to have a positive influence on, on KW Realtors' lives, to protect their businesses and, and keep their clients in their ecosystem and helping keep that client, you know, their client for life. Next would have been to create opportunities for those around me and for KW Associates a, across the country as we grow. Creating opportunities for others has always been a, a, a big thing for me. We all come from different circumstances and and different opportunities and and helping other people succeed is is really important to me. You know, it's like I I Gary Keller, like I, I really I, I I admire Gary Keller 
And I, I had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago in Austin in his office. And if, if you know Gary, Gary will have the word realtor on his gravestone. He's actually said that he'll have a realtor on his gravestone. Gary Keller doesn't need to go to work every day. He's a billionaire, but he doesn't need to go to work every day um, and do what he does. The reason he does it is his care and concern for realtors and protecting realtors businesses. So for me to be a, a part of that and to be in business with him, I think it was a, was an absolute no brainer. It, you know, and I, I don't know this, but I'm going to guess that the majority of Gary's income does not come from Keller Williams, yet the majority of his time is spent on, on Keller Williams, which is just amazing. We're very lucky to have him, you know, still heavily involved in this organization. The last would have been to be able to give back more and to support the, the causes that are very dear to me and primarily our, our gonna love initiative. Um, with the work that I do in, in gone Africa that I've done for the last you know, 12 years or so, but to just take that to a, to a whole new level was another, another reason that, that I wanted to get involved. Cool. How does that, uh, how does that happen? How does that, how does that tie in? Is there, you know, I think um, sounds exciting. How does that affect, how does a, a consumer or a, an investor or well, an agent out there, how does that actually work? Well, so people can make a donation to, at gonalove.org if they wanted to make a donation to the to the charity. But on the mortgage end of things, for for every even just simply a referral to Keller Mortgage, we we plant a tree in Ghana and plant a tree in in Canada. But on every funded mortgage, a month of schooling is provided as well to a child in 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 Ghana, and then we give a, a, a large sum of money as a, as an organization every month to, to that initiative as well. But um, yeah, people arranging financing, it, 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 it's really a, we wanted Keller mortgage to be a company that makes a, a difference and doesn't just arrange, doesn't just arrange mortgage, mortgage loans. Cool. That's, yeah, it's definitely different than, um, than working with a traditional lender uh, in some yeah, way and, here. Well, and you know, Keller Mortgage US and Keller Mortgage Canada are the only two mortgage companies out there that were not built to do mortgages. Like it isn't the purpose behind them is to grow a mortgage business. It's to grow and protect realtors, real estate businesses, which is really, it's really cool. And yeah, need to be a part of it. Awesome. Um, uh, question, because I think maybe some listeners probably would, would want to understand that a bit more is, can a can a regular consumer go to Keller Mortgage Canada for to arrange a mortgage? Do they have to work with the Keller Williams agents in that sense? No, they they don't. So anybody, I guess we're an equal opportunity brokerage. Um, there are certain perks that are available to to borrowers if they are using a Keller Williams agent, and those perks would not be available uh, if they weren't. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Um, we talked a lot about this just recently. I'm sure there's a tie-in with with Ghana and all that. But what what motivates you now? What what inspires you? What's exciting about uh, everything you're doing with with you know all these well, investments what, and all these? Investments? Yeah. What what motivates me each day is being able to have a, a positive impact on on someone's life. And I actually get up each day and I ask myself that question: Whose life can I make better today? You you reach a point, and I, I I've been there for many years, where it isn't about the money. You're not going to work every day so that you can put food on the table, you know, or buy another car. It, it for me, it's just, you know, whose, who, whose life can I make 
better today? Who can I have a positive impact on? That's that's really what motivates me day to day. That's well, cool. again, like again, that. again, th- thousands or tens of thousands here today with the show. So that's uh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. So it's, uh, I'm sure there's lots of value people are taking away here. Um, uh, you wrote a book, is that correct? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I, I, I would say I, I wrote that book when I was a teenager, um, kind of. <laughs> so I, I was keeping track of things that I was doing, mainly financial uh, from the age of 14. And, and I did want to write a book at 16, but I didn't feel I was valid enough. So I, I kept taking notes. And in my late 20s, I was ready to do that. I, I wrote the book is The Millionaire Father. I, I wrote the book first and foremost for my kids to have some sort of path to follow. Uh, now, they were they were, you know, two and three years old at the time. But um, although I am just their dumb dad. So um, and many of us have experienced that. I, I was on a, a call recently on, and I didn't know my son was was listening. I was on speakerphone. I didn't know he was home. And when I hung up the call, my son said, is that blah, blah, blah from that TV show? And I said, well, yeah, why? Why would he call you? You're the dumbest person I know. <laughs> now, you know, he's joking, but there's also some some truth to that. You know, people will listen to other people's your kids will listen to someone else more than they'll they'll listen to you. So it was to give them some guidance. But for all of the, the parents out there, too, to give them some guidance on on how to thrive and not struggle on a day-to-day basis. It, the book focuses a lot on, on wealth, but it's really about being a great parent. And money can help you have more time to be able to spend with your family. It is the way that anybody in your life measures love is by the amount of time you spend with them, not the amount of money you spend on them, uh, I guess, unless you have teenagers. <laughs> yeah there's a window there where the, where the, where the money is it does does a little more the money than equals most. love yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh to- totally yeah no there is a period of time where where, where it does but <laughs> yeah. in my you know when I, when I say I, I define myself as a, as a husband and father first and foremost it, then it, see if you do if you if you clearly know who you are then everything just falls into place so if if Sandy if you saw me at a dinner party which you wouldn't because I don't go to dinner parties but if you did and you said hey Jeff you know uh what do you do my my answer would be what do I do about what I would never say I'm a realtor or a mortgage broker because it isn't who I am yes so where do you think I am if my son has a baseball game Friday night at seven well you know where I am because I know who I I I am so that's where I am I wouldn't be at a function I wouldn't be speaking I, I would be at my son's baseball game. So I challenge people out there to just, you know, come up with who you are, identify who you are, and then and then live your life that way. It's easy to make decisions once once you've defined who you are. That's awesome. I love that. I think that more people should try to live that way. I mean, I know that not everybody necessarily has that has that freedom, or, or at least they have a, um, a perception that they don't yeah. have that freedom. Um, so I encourage people to follow that. I think it's great advice and we only have this one life. So, um, you know, to be where you're, where to be support there for, you know, your loved ones is really important. Yeah, it is. Um, so where do you see your business going in the future now? Yeah. And I thought I've actually, (laughs) 
a shift probably, rate from family to just let's go right yeah, back. In the I, I, and <laughs> I'm, it's the next question. So I guess the business, the business to me is, I guess, two separate things. You know, my real estate investing business is, is one. And I, I clearly know where I want that to go. For me there now, it is all about uh, affordable and accessible housing. So all of the stuff that I'm looking at, at building and constructing has a big component of that to it. Um, and you, you, it, building affordable housing in Ontario is very difficult to do. In other provinces, it's, it's actually pretty simple to do. So my returns are going to be less. There's no question. But it's, it's not always about, you know, more and having more. If I can have some sort of return and give somebody a, a place to live that is actually affordable, that's that's the future of of real estate investing for me 100 it it's not about the returns there's got to be some return you know i don't want to be shelling 30 grand out of my pocket every month but so that that i guess that's that's where i i see my my real estate investing business going um my personal business yeah i'm i, I i've been thinking a lot about that lately and lots of different things i'm i'm thinking um, so I'm not clear on that yet. My personal business, exactly how I want that to go. Um, yeah, that just being honest, that's cool. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm sure it will follow that same path, right. Of, uh, life first sort of, right. Yeah. And being able to help people. I think, I think I like the idea of what you're saying there is just because again, it's sort of, a. um, like the affordable means something different in Ontario than it does in Nova Scotia or Alberta. So to be, to, to have more of an impact, you do sort of need to go. I yes. shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say more of an impact, but uh, I guess it's less resistant to go over there and have an impact. Right. And you're able it to is. do yeah. it easier. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Uh, okay, let's end with um, what's the best piece of info or advice that's always stuck with you, and how can it help? Or how well, it's a it's a piece of advice that I that I actually always have given myself, and it is that more is not always better. Now, more doesn't mean that it's worse. We often just get caught up in having more, more, more without really knowing what it is for, and can get caught up in that that illness and really not enjoy what life has to offer. So when, it, when is enough enough? I, I think it's a good question to start asking yourself. We're taught that more is better. And I'm, I'm here to tell you the truth is that, that it isn't always better. So it doesn't mean that you don't, don't strive for more. But I, I know an individual in my life right now that, that their goal is to be a, a billionaire. And they don't really know why they want to be a billionaire. They just want to right. be a billionaire. And they're, they're 54 years old now. They work 6,000 hours a week. They never see their family. Um, they have more money than, than anybody needs. And they just want more, more, more. And they don't understand why, why they want more. So identify what, what, why you're doing what you're doing. And then when is, a, when is enough enough? Um, yeah, so more isn't always better is, is something that sits with me all the, all the time. You know, you, you reach... Or at least the compass of where what that more is pointing towards, right? Like, like taking it, steering it away from material things. 
yes. pointing it more towards time with family well, or yes or yeah yeah yes, more yeah, fulfillment money. more more help for other people is. money is, is always good but I, I i think it's just where you point it i, I agree yeah and your know, money is money and happiness is happiness they're 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 separate um yeah. and if you don't believe that go to some third world countries they're separate now there's there's happiness here in money to a to a degree. You know, if you're making 80 to 100 grand a year as a family, there's no more happiness in a million dollars a year. Um, this isn't Jeff talking. This has been highly studied. So I'm not saying don't make a million. You should if you could, because you can do lots of great things with it. Just don't don't think that you're going to be happier if you made another fifty thousand dollars next year. Happiness is happiness, and for for most of us in the part of the world that we live in, happiness is a choice. That's awesome advice. And uh, I, I always think of the people that the people that succeed financially and are not happy is often because they don't have any purpose behind it. Right. They go and make that million dollars and they go, it's like the most saddest day in their life because they go, yes. I, I thought this would feel so awesome. And it's really pretty minimal. Or if it's anything, it's like five minutes of, of, of fun or enjoyment. And then it's what the heck now it's, more and more and more is, a, is a, I, I like you called it an illness. It definitely can be an illness. It's a very, um, very impactful on someone's uh health even and and, and in so many ways there's so many so many uh there's so much stress in there there's so many things that 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 are uh, a byproduct of that so it's a uh, great advice i love it and it's and it's something that's very dominant in the society that we all live in right like oh, yeah. to to strive for that it's ingrained in us so yes. i mean even just us coming here there was a totally different way that we had to think because life is just not the same here as it is there, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so it, it, it's, um, you know, we knew it was going to be more minimal, but the extent of how much more minimal, you know, was actually discovered along the way. Right. And then, and, uh, and, and I think in a very positive way. Yeah. So I, I appreciate all of that. I, I agree with you. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Um, I guess uh, Instagram is fine at Jeff Reitzel. So J E F F R E I T Z E L dot com or sorry, not dot com. <laughs> Instagram <laughs> at Jeff Reitzel works. Okay, cool. That's the best way. Yep, that works. Awesome. Uh, well, it was really, I really appreciated you taking the time to talk to us today. I think we learned a lot. My pleasure. And uh, Sandy, how can people get in touch <clears throat> with you? Uh, Instagram works too. It's Sandy McKay or uh, Sandy at freedomreps.com. Okay. People can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. And uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we hope you've been inspired to take control and live life on your terms. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.